Our scripture reading today is from Acts 18, 18 through 23. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This concludes the reading of God's word. Randy, have a seat and turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Join me there if you would. Well, uh, some of the men of the church just got back from the men's retreat down at Scioto Hills Camp, and um, uh, different people have different experiences when they go to such things, okay? If you snore, you were great. If you couldn't sleep through snoring, you had a pretty re- uh, miserable existence, in, at least in the sleeping department. So um, uh, that was pretty much the whole sleep situation right there. Now, I will say this. I've been around to a lot of camps in my day, and I have not eaten better uh, anywhere, both feasting on the word and on the actual uh, dining hall food that I have at uh, Side of the Hills. It was really good, really good. And we were blessed. So, and we all made it back safely, I think. So there you go. There's an interesting phenomenon that, that goes on in our world today, and um, it goes something like this. Uh, people are always making, on social media and other platforms, people are always making content, and they got to fill that content, right? Um, and so, uh, invariably, what will happen is, someone becomes rich and famous, well-known, popular, you get the idea, and then someone will interview them on a podcast or something, and they will tell you about their daily routine, okay? And, and here's what happens after someone shares with, uh, with the world their daily routine. Then you get all these YouTubers who make videos on, I followed someone else's daily routine for 30 days. I followed, in this case, Elon Musk. I followed Elon Musk's uh, daily routine for a month, and boy, am I tired, and my brain hurts, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I don't understand this. I don't understand why. Like, we're all different, right? Um, some of us, the good half of us, are morning people, Right? And then you heathens are all night people. Like you're starting to wake up about the time I'm going to bed, right? Good thing my uh, good thing Tracy's not here to scold me for that because she's a night person and I'm a morning person and that makes life hard sometimes. No, but, but we're all different. We all have different uh, proclivities and and the way we organize our day and when we get up and what we eat throughout the day and and all this kind of good stuff. But. There's this phenomenon, right, where people will follow someone else's daily routine to see how it goes. You know, what did I learn from this experience? It's kind of weird. Well, we have been following the Apostle Paul through his missionary journeys 
Uh, he's coming to the end of his second missionary journey. And actually, in this text, he's going to transition and start his third missionary journey. And I don't, I'm not advocating that we try to make some YouTube co content. You know, I tried the daily life of the Apostle Paul for 30 days. You know, um, you know, you'd have to give. You couldn't really make a YouTube video since you don't have any of that technology. I guess you could write on papyrus or something. But we're not going to do that. But but here are here is what we can do. We can look at this text today and we can ask ourselves, what are some principles that we can take away? What did Paul seem to value as he was carrying on these missionary journeys? And so the big question we're going to wrestle with is this. What can we learn from the Apostle Paul's way of life in Acts 18? By the way, that was a beautiful song that the uh, Hens family sung. Um, and uh, just, it's just a gorgeous song. First, first time I've heard that performed live. It's just a, a remarkable lyrics to that song. Anyway, um, what can we learn, okay, from Paul's, the Apostle Paul's way of life in Acts 18? So here's a few things. There's four of them this morning I want to share with you. Number one, thing that we see, can see, one of the things Paul valued was he cultivated relationships with God and with other people. He cultivated relationships. And you can see that all in verse 18. Look what it says. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, let's just take that apart real quick. Um, Paul, I covered this the last time we talked about the, talked about Priscilla and Aquila. Paul had come into Corinth, right? He was probably kind of out of money and alone. And he was a tent maker by trade. So he stumbled upon this guy, Aquila, who happened to be Jewish, who also, excuse me, happened to be a tent maker, who had set up shop in Corinth. And so they decided to partner together, at least for a time. Paul needed some money and... Uh, Perhaps Aquila needed some extra hands. And so these were the things that brought him them together. As far as we knew in the last sermon, in the last text, Aquila and Priscilla were not Christians, not followers of Jesus Christ, said they were Jewish. And they had been expelled from Rome because the, the leader there expelled all the Jews from Rome, from that region. But here we see for some odd reason, that this relationship that started pretty organically, we, we got the Jewish heritage in common, we've got tent making in common. Now we see that Priscilla and Aquila have become Paul's traveling partners. And we're going to see in the next sermon that they're going to be ministry partners. So somewhere along the way in this relationship that had formed between Aquila and Priscilla and the Apostle Paul, presumably they came to Christ. And presumably they were more than just tent making colleagues and fellow Jews, they were also followers of Jesus. Now, every, you guys, everybody in this room knows this, right? This doesn't happen by the Apostle Paul remaining silent about who Jesus was and the impact that he had had on his life. Could you imagine they're, they're, they're in uh, Aquila's shop or his stand or wherever, and they're putting together tents, and Paul is telling this great story of his life about how he was... He had papers, right? He had grown up and sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a very studied man, a very learned man. But he was a, per, a persecutor of the church. He had 
stood by and, and even showed approval and, and overseeing the cloaks while the men were stoning Stephen. And how he met God on the, he met Jesus Christ on the way to, on the road to Damascus. He was blinded. He's probably telling Priscilla and Aquila all these stories and they're, they're sitting there putting tents together going, you know, a gape, mouth agape. And so he relates to them the gospel, perhaps through his own personal testimony, perhaps in other ways he's sharing with them the gospel and they believe. Now they are no longer just work colleagues, they are traveling partners as well. And this took intentional effort. The other thing that we see in this one verse is that Paul customized his relationship with God. And this is what I, I think the text is talking about, this vow thing. So take your Bible and turn back with me just for a minute to Numbers chapter 6, all the way to the front of the Bible there. Numbers chapter 6. There's a concept in the Old Testament law called a Nazarite vow. Scholars believe that it was probably a Nazarite vow that Paul took. And let's read about, let's just read out of the Bible and see what this was all about. In Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman takes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made with wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow, he sh of his separation, he shall no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair, the hair of his head, grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother or for his brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of the separation, he is holy to the Lord. And it goes on and, and it, it talks about how to like, break this vow or not break it but to fulfill it at the end you got to shave your head uh, cut your hair put the hair on the altar make a sacrifice presume that's jerusalem you know in at the temple so it, it goes on to spell out all the regulations and rules for this thing called a nazarite vow now test question delaware bible church this is uh this is the speed round we're getting ready for trivia next week and oh by the way um i was told by a very uh not a very reputable source that if you beat me in trivia you're the new pastor of the church is that <laughs> is that this is not going to be super competitive i just want to let you know uh it's not going to be super competitive this is going to be more fun and fellowship oriented so um if you're if you're leery of coming because you don't want to show me up don't worry i'll beat you <laughs> wait i just said it's not gonna be very competitive <laughs> i better rethink my words anyway test question when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on the third day did he fulfill the Old Testament law yes so does Paul have to take a Nazarite vow according to Numbers chapter 6 does he have to no in fact even in, even in the Old Testament law in Numbers chapter 6 it seems to be a voluntary thing 
But listen, this is the culture that Paul grew up in. This is what he knew. This is the way of life that he had become accustomed to. And just because, even though knowing that Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament law, I'm about to enter divine speculation, so all disclaimers and caveats. Perhaps Paul, on this second journey, said to himself, you know, I find myself being tempted to, to run away when the Pharisees and the religious leaders pop up and they start getting very agitated with me and the, the group starting to grow around me of people that don't like me and stuff. And I'm feeling the pressure to kind of like shut my mouth. And, and so I'm going to make a vow to the Lord. This is all speculation. I, I don't know what the vow was. The text doesn't tell us what the, what the vow was. I'm giving you an example. Perhaps he said, I'm going to make, I'm going to dedicate myself to staying true, to staying there in the room, where, whether it's the synagogue or the, the place next door to the synagogue. I'm going to stay in there. I'm going to stay true. And I'm going to continue to reason from God's word patiently, but forcefully, even though these men are storing up trouble and false accusations and all these things against me. I'm going to stay the course. Maybe that was the vow. I don't know. Probably not. The point that I'm trying to make is that Paul, Paul accessed what he knew. He used the tools available to him to work on certain areas of his relationship with the Lord. Right? And I find that fascinating. I mean, he's the Apostle Paul, right? I'm just Scott. He's the Apostle Paul. He's a pretty good guy. He's maybe the most prolific church planter in church history, and yet he's still working on his relationship with the Lord. And so <clears throat> my question for you this morning is this. I've kind of spread the application into the, into the outline today. So is this, how are you cultivating relationships with God and with others? How are you cultivating your relationship with the Lord? Surely if you're like me, there's areas of your life that need attention spiritually that that I or you have not yet placed under the lordship of Jesus and we need to work in those areas maybe it, it would be good not to take a Nazarite vow but what what do you have available to you right perhaps you can say you can make it a a, a, a dedication or set a goal to to work on a particular area of, of obedience to the Lord over the next 30 days, 45 days, however long it takes for you to form a habit. You get the idea. Perhaps you uh, have caught yourself not being on mission for the Lord, not, not bothering to open your mouth and share the gospel with anyone, not even coworkers or people that you have in your sphere of influence, and you're going to make it your goal over the next few days or months, whatever, and, and start praying for three or four people that you know are not followers of Jesus Christ. That's what you're going to do. Whatever. I'm simply trying to point out that Paul seemed to be very intentional about cultivating his relationship with God. And then when it comes to cultivating our relationships with others, right, that also takes intentional effort. I, I'm always reminded when I think about relationships in the church I'm, of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, which says, let us consider how to stir one another up. That word means 
stir one another up is to provoke, how to provoke one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we can fall into a category of looking for people that like us and not people who love us. Let me explain to you what I mean by that because these are very uh, fungible terms today in our world. When I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like that would like you on social media by clicking the like button or the heart or whatever mechanism is used in that on that particular platform. They're really not there to challenge you, to help you grow. They're just agreeing with you whatever you say. They have a relationship with you that's kind of superficial, and uh, you, you said something kind of cool. I like that. Click. They're never going to disagree with you. They're never going to push you. They're never going to help you to become a better man or woman for the Lord. But as I've said many times from this pulpit, as I look back on my own life, it was the ones who, were, who bothered to say, Scott, this area of your life is out of order. It's, it's not in line with what the Scripture says, and you need to work on that. Those are the ones who have loved me enough to tell me that, to, sac to put on the altar the relationship judging based on how I might respond to their, dare I say it, that I might interpret it as harsh words that I didn't want to hear at the time, that I might interpret their words as harsh and unloving when in fact they were just the opposite. They were loving and they bothered to come to me and tell me that they put the, the, the relationship on the altar to sacrifice it depending on how I responded. And those are the people, praise the Lord, that have really challenged me to grow and change, become more like Christ. So when I think about Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, I think about these three words all the time. Time, we have to spend time together, right? In proximity, uh, meaning we need to be like physically near each other or in the same room or at the same coffee table, whatever. And then um, the third is challenge. We need to be challenged. And let me just ask you this before we get too far down this road. Are you the type of person who wants to be challenged? Are you the type of person, if someone loved you enough to come to you and say to you, this area of your life is out of order, are you going to claim victimhood status and say, how mean of you to say that about me? Or are you going to really maybe appreciate that the person came to you and said something and that they're, in, in fact, trying to love you enough to help you grow and change become more like Christ? Because he is good. His ways are good. They're life-giving, right? And we want to follow in them. So time, proximity, and challenge. This is what it takes to cultivate good human relationships. Now, as in the first service, I'm going to spend a lot of time on point one, and then I'm going to, going to speed up a little bit. Just let me say this. Any project that you have in your life, you know, as, as we become, as Tracy and I kind of are transitioning over the next few years to empty nesters, Lord willing. Um, I, I, I don't want the kids, I don't want Ellie to leave, but she needs to for her own good, right? Uh, go out on her own. But as the kids, as we become empty nesters, uh, I'm starting to hear rumors throughout the house of bathroom remodels, right? 
just at this point they're just ideas and rumors right at some point I know there's going to be a, a yellow pad and some paper and, and her and I sitting down at the table and and an expression of ideas on what we're going to want to get done there and budgets and time frames and you know all this kind of stuff but in order to get that bathroom or those bathrooms remodeled right those plans are going to have to come out of our heads onto paper they're going to have to translate into a budget they're going to have to translate into trips to menards probably 10 too many trips to menards right and work effort a plan you know for me as the the guy that does the planning side it's like well how long can i leave the water off before my wife decides that she's had enough right all that kind of stuff right and so just in that same way cultivating relationships with god cultivating a deeper relationship with god and cultivating a deeper relationship with others is not something that happens by accident it happens through intentional planning and effort so how you doing how you doing cultivating a deeper relationship with the lord and with other people the second thing that we see in this text is very interesting to me is paul's stewardship of time his stewardship of time back to acts 18 we see this in uh, verse 19 uh, and they came to ephesus and he left them there but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the jews this is his typical mo he comes into a new town he goes to the synagogue paul knows the old testament like the back of his hand he's a very learned man he's also a christian so he's reasoning with them from the old testament helping them to understand that jesus was the messiah that they were in that the old testament anticipated he's connecting the dots for them right other texts make that very clear when they asked him to stay for a longer period he declined but on taking leave of them he said i will return to you if god wills and he set sail from ephesus so we don't know why Paul wasn't really in the mood at this point to stay a long time in Ephesus. There's a couple of possible reasons that jump out. One is that he, and, and I, I just need to say this, like uh, good missionaries, uh, this church supports many missionaries, and a good missionary will kind of have a gut feel for how often they need to make a report back to one of their supporting or sending churches, right? It could have been that Paul just knew it's time for me to go back to Antioch and touch base with my home church to just check in and give a report of what's going on it's been a long time you know a couple years at this point probably and so he needs to go back and winter is coming and that makes sailing the uh, the, the waters that he's going to sail more difficult according to some scholars that have looked at this and so it could have been just, I just need to get back to Antioch and so I can, I can give a report. The other thing that came up is that perhaps uh, on this vow that he had made to the Lord, there was a, uh, according to some Jewish traditions, there was a, a specific time frame that he had so many days after he had cut his hair to get to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice. Don't know. But it seems like Paul here has a sense of, uh, of urgency to get back to Antioch. And so the time that he does have left, he spends sowing seeds of truth, right? He goes into the synagogue, as is his normal way, and he starts to kind of lay a foundation, right? 
He doesn't spend a ton of time there. We don't know exactly how long, but he goes in and he starts reasoning with them and then he moves on. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time. Sometimes you have, uh, one of the things that we did at the men's retreat, or I did, uh, um, is there was a workshop on evangelism, right? And um, the, the, the guy talked a lot about cultivating relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel and this was the main thrust of it but he did say at the end you know if you only have a few seconds a gospel track is better than nothing you know if, you, if all you've got is a few seconds maybe give them something to take with them and read and he shared a few stories about about that so paul was trying to make the best use of his time he was also very intentional right uh ephesus later is going to be a, a city where Paul spends a large amount of time and it's going to play a vital role in his third missionary journey. So perhaps he was breezing through Ephesus just to kind of get a feel for that town on his way back to uh, Antioch, right? Uh, Ephesians 5.16 says this, making the best use of time because the days are evil, right? He's, he's, he's making the best use of time that he possibly can with what he has he also though in in this comment you know he's he he's told by the the leaders there the synagogue folks hey stick around we'd love to talk to you more he says no i gotta go but i will be back if the lord wills so even the apostle paul is he's acknowledging in all his ways he's acknowledging god he says if the lord if god wills it always reminds me of, of James chapter 4, right? This amazing passage where James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. I've shared with you this many times, I know. As a young man growing up, as, as, you know, I grew up in Indiana. I grew up on the Illinois side of Indiana. Never had I ever thought that Ohio was in my future. I'm not denigrating Ohio. I love it here. But it just wasn't on my radar. It wasn't part of my plan, Right? Um, in college, I remember dreaming about either working, <laughs> this is so silly now, working for NASA or John Deere. You know, those were my options. Ended up changing careers and uh, in central Ohio, right? So Paul is acknowledging God. He is the sovereign. He is the one that makes the plans. Now, before we leave this section, let me just ask you this. How... Are you being intentional with your time? Are you being intentional with your time to manage it well, to use it well? Listen, there's so many different time management techniques out there. We don't have to talk about them. There's the Ben Franklin method, the Eisenhower method, priority lists, to-do lists, getting things done method, and a whole host of others that I won't name. And that's not the point. The point is, is that are you, are you commanding your time for these things? 
these priorities, these gospel priorities, or is, are others commanding your time? I heard uh, at the men's retreat, I, I heard a, a phrase that I really like, so I decided to use it immediately, um, which the speaker said, stop scrolling on your phone. Just turn on the social media and mindlessly just scroll. There's no value. What value is there in that? Um, are, is, are you commanding your time or are other forces commanding it for you? These are good questions to ask yourself. Paul seemed to be very intentional, very focused with his time. The third thing that we see in the text is that he touched bases at home. He touched bases at home. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says he, when he had landed at Caesarea, that's one of the few ports along the Mediterranean rim as it pertains to Israel. Israel's got a pretty smooth, uh, straight bank to it, so it's hard to land ships there, but they constructed a man-made port, man-made harbor at Caesarea. Anyway, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. That, those two phrases, that he went up and that he greeted the church, kind of key us in that he went to Jerusalem first. He went to Jerusalem probably to make a sacrifice maybe for his Nazarite vow that he had, he had taken. Anyway, uh, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch, which is where his home base is. That's his home, kind of his sending church. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, when I think about Paul coming home, I think of a few things, and, and I think of this, uh, not because it says it explicitly in the text, but because this is our life experience as a church today. When we have missionaries that come home to visit, we give and receive encouragement, right? We give and receive encouragement. We are encouraged to hear from them what the Lord is doing around the world, and we give them encouragement by uh, telling them that they're doing a great job and um, having them in our homes, taking meals with them, and just generally treating them, get, treating them well and giving them a place to rest. Uh, I'm always moved by this passage in Romans chapter 1 where Paul says, um, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I love that idea about Paul is telling the Romans, I'm going to come see you, but we're going to mutually encourage one another. So there's probably some encouragement going on. There's probably some accountability going on, right? Imagine if the, the Apostle Paul came back to the church at Antioch after being away for a few years, and he, and he gets in front of the church leaders to give a report, he gets in front of the congregation to give a report, and says, listen, this gospel is it's a great thing. I've been doing that for a long time, kind of tired of it. And so I, am, I have found this new invention. It's wind-up chattering teeth, and now I sell those. And it's great. Keep supporting me. You know the wind-up teeth? They didn't invent those back then, but you get the idea. No, that's not... That's not why the church in Antioch was supporting him in prayer and in resources. That's not why they sent him out. And I just want to tell you that we have a ministry philosophy here at Delaware Bible Church that we've cultivated over time. 
And that is that if we have a missionary that comes back to give a report and they've changed their field, meaning, you know, like, for example, the Christiansons recently, they were in Haiti for a long time, and now they're in the United States at a college helping prepare pastors there. If a, if a, if a ministry team changes their field, if they change their, fo- change their focus, like what they're doing, or if they change their doctrine... That gives us pause and, and that gives us at least an opportunity to reconsider our relationship and to give some accountability as the local church supporting these missionaries. And so we reevaluate. And so I'm guessing that when Paul came back and gave his account, there was probably no problems whatsoever, but it gave the church an opportunity to hold him accountable. And listen, the accountability is a biblical concept. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us we're all going to give an account, right, for what we do on this earth to the Lord. And so we ought to be able to be accountable to one another. Paul also, I'm, I'm guessing, likely re- received refreshment, right? Imagine being Paul. I, I'm guessing that Paul, being the Apostle Paul is a little bit, of, is a little bit like going over to a country where Islam is the predominant religion, right? And it's, it's militant Islam. And uh, trying to share the gospel with people, it's not going to be met well, right? There's going to be resistance. There's going to be those that are going to push back and perhaps with force or deadly force. And so you can imagine if you're in a situation like that, your life is always in a pressure cooker wondering is that person looking at me because they know that I've been spreading the gospel and so they're angry with me and they're going to do some harm to me? I, you're always in that pressure cooker all the time. And so for Paul to leave and sail to, to, to and, and end up at his home church, this is a place where there is true Christian fellowship with probably not a lot of adversity coming his way and he can rest and he can become refreshed gather some steam for the next leg of the mission. Philemon, that beautiful one chapter book in the Bible, says, I have I drive much joy and comfort from your love. Paul wrote these words. My brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And then, this is just real practical stuff here, but, you know, equipment and provisions. Equipment and provisions. What a blessing. Folks, what a blessing. The Santa Fe's are down in Columbia where insurance is apparently not a thing, right? It's not a thing down there. And, and they get robbed. They get their electronics stolen. They get their passports stolen. They somehow communicate to us that this is the case. And we have the privilege of equipping them and giving them some provisions so that they can carry on the work. Isn't that amazing? That's what we did together. That's awesome, right? I mean, praise the Lord for that. And, and um, uh, the church in Antioch has the capability and the opportunity to continue to support Paul on his, on his various journeys, both in prayer and in uh, financial and other ways. Paul knows this. He wrote in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So he's touching base at home. Now, this just brings up an interesting, an interesting question. 
when you come here, when you gather, when you gather with us here at Delaware Bible Church, when you gather in your small groups, when you gather with your uh, accountability partner or whatever, however, whatever relationships you've got set up, are those energizing you to keep going? Or is it just a meeting on the calendar that doesn't really mean anything? If it's a meeting on the calendar that doesn't really mean anything, it's time to change, right? We need to be provoking one another to love and good deeds, to, to uh, helping to, to, to equip and, and get folks going in gospel ministry. That's why we're here after all, right? We're here to love God, love others, and make disciples. All right. last one you see Paul's motivation for the mission Paul's motivation for the mission look at verse 23 after spending some time there he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia strengthening all the disciples it would be fun someday to meet the Apostle Paul I just like to I just like to understand his personality because this guy seems to be he just seems to have a tremendous sense of urgency right like i've got a mission to do here i'm still drawing breath i got two legs and two arms let's go you know let's let's get after it and um he just seems to have this sense he doesn't he stays there for some time we don't know how long but he he doesn't spend too much time there and then he's off and he knows. He knows what the mission is, right? You'll be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That task is not yet done. Jesus himself said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He knows that the mission is out there, and it's got stuff to do. It's so cool as a church for us to talk about guys like Fred and Trudy Vermeulen. Fred and Trudy Vermeulen who are so, so long down in Suriname, right? Uh, sharing the gospel, learning the language, uh, making disciples, making followers of Jesus Christ, assisting in the Bible translation process, in uh, translating the Bible into the trio language for the natives there and to see that work grow over the years to the point that now even right now those trios have a strong enough church such that they've loaded up a, they've picked a team and they've loaded that team into canoes and that team is now going to another tribal people group in brazil to spread the gospel and to, to begin the work there that is incredible and that is or should be the normal operating system of the church. All right. We also see this phrase uh, that's, that's oftentimes in the book of Acts. It says that he went to all the region, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. He was strengthening the church couple things. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, in Delaware, at Delaware Bible Church, we have kind of a, 
uh, missions philosophy that's, that's kind of, it's either, it's an either or situation. Uh, we partner with missionaries mostly that either plant churches or they strengthen churches, right? Wayne Vanderweer, Overseas Instruction and Counseling, Sunset Ministries, those are church strengthening organizations. But then we've got other folks like Fred and Trudy who planted churches or assisted in planted, planting churches. And, and so Paul has gone through these regions and he's planted churches, but now Paul is going back through these regions to strengthen the church. That's number one. The second thing I would share with you is this. Ephesians 4, places like Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 remind us, right, that what is necessary to do gospel work is more, much more, than me standing up here in the pulpit say, like saying things, right? We need folks that understand how to help churches with their accounting, right? So that they can, they can handle their books properly. We need folks that are skilled that can help churches with their uh, uh, music service and, and uh, worship and praise. We need folks that are skilled in, in buildings and, and trades and stuff like that to, to keep the building in repair or maybe expand it or build new or whatever. We need all, all of the gifts are necessary to strengthen and expand the church. And that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to take what, that which God has given him and he's going to go back and he's going to strengthen those churches. Now, this last question is, this last question maybe uh, could make you squirm a little bit, and I apologize. Uh, but one of my jobs is to, is to provoke you, right? And so I'll just ask you this question. What would you have to offer to strengthen the church? What would you have to offer to strengthen the church. Have you even given any thought or consideration to how the way that God has wired you, the particular skills that God has given you, that he has granted you, these are from God, right? I can't explain why I am the way I am, which my wife says is weird, but I, I can't explain. God made me this way, right? He made me this way. But I've taken that which God has given me and I've attempted to cultivate that into some things that can help others, that can, that can help the church. Um, have you given any thought to how has God made you and how can you cultivate what God, how God has made you into something that can strengthen the church, both this church and perhaps the church beyond these walls for his glory? And how could you grow in this area? Again, it's not just people teaching the word, although we all have, we, everybody in this room ought to have a fundamental understanding of how to handle the word, amen? How to handle God's word, that's something that we all need. How could you, what would you have to offer to strengthen the church? Well, I want to encourage you uh, as we answer the question uh, to, to go back through the notes at some point today, tomorrow, early this week, I would say. Don't let it go, la lag too long. And look at these questions at the end of each section and just perhaps pick one and really interact with it and, and ask God to give you one thing to begin working on and then do it. 
so that you can become a sharper instrument in his hand. But what do we learn from the Apostle Paul's way of life? This is what we learn. In Acts 18, the Apostle Paul paints a vivid picture of a life dedicated to mission. He was on mission. I mean, he was getting after it. But he was also cultivating relationships with God and people. If I haven't learned anything in the ministry in the time that I've been in it, it's that if you try to operate a ministry under your own talent and abilities, you will hit the wall pretty quick, right? This, one of the things that we're doing, about, doing around here, one of the things that we're trying to do around here is to cultivate all of our gifts and abilities and, and get those all focused in the direction of planting churches, growing churches, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So take a look at these things and ask God to help you to grow in, this, in these areas, to grow as a result of studying Paul's way of life. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this man, the Apostle Paul, who was once a murderous persecutor of the church, a man full of pride because of his great education and the, the wonderful status of the man that he studied under, and we see that man humbled on the road to Damascus. We see that man trusting with his life, putting the weight of his life on the Lord, on your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we see a radical transformation, a reordering of his priorities, a commitment to see the mission through and it just comes out of his, in his life in all different kinds of ways. And we're thankful for that, Father. Father, may we not be people who pay lip service to Paul, but to, to really see him as an example and to follow his ways. But more importantly, to follow the ways of your son, Jesus Christ, who Paul has, himself is emulating. To be about the business of cultivating our relationship with God, loving God, loving you, Father, cultivating our relationships with others so that we can love them and lead them into the truth of your word to make disciples of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed. <laughs>